0: Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novograti. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, May 13, 2014. This week, I'll begin by discussing the latest developments in Congress to extend expired and expiring tax provisions. The Senate is expected to take up the Expire Act today. And last week, the House voted to make permanent the Research and Development Tax Credit, setting the two Houses of Congress on markedly different courses. In our New Markets Tax Credit segment, I'll review the most recent QEI issuance report from the CDFI Fund. I'll also update listeners on the status of the next round of New Markets Tax Credit Allocation Authority Awards, and I'll discuss a report published by Enterprise Community Partners that examines the role New Markets Tax Credits play in bringing healthy food options to low-income communities. In this week's Low Income Housing Tax Credit section, I share another update about the Johnson Crapo bill, a bill that would eliminate Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. I'll also remind listeners about important property compliance training opportunities and share details of a bill under consideration in Louisiana that could negatively affect low-income housing tax credit properties. In our historic tax credit section, I'll review the status of fiscal year 2015 appropriations for the historic preservation fund. Then. I'll describe the positive changes recently enacted to the Alabama State Historic Tax Credit. And finally, in Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, I have breaking news regarding the use of REITs for investing in renewable energy. Also, I share good news from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development which last week announced partnerships with 27 affordable housing developers, public housing authorities, financial institutions, and service providers that committed to installing more than 150 megawatts of on-site renewable energy. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, today the United States Senate is expected to begin attempting to consider the Expire Act of 2014 which regular listeners will recall, is a package of tax extenders that passed out of committee last month. The bill would extend approximately 60 expired and expiring tax provisions through 2015. Senate Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden has said the bill would give lawmakers time to work on comprehensive tax reform, including debate over which tax provisions to make permanent or at least indefinite. Today, there's a cloture vote. That's what's expected. I'll tweet the results of the cloture vote, which will likely occur before you listen to this podcast. If cloture is invoked and the extenders bill does pass the Senate, I still, unfortunately, don't expect it to become law until after the November election. That said, the possibility remains that certain obstacles could be overcome before November and the extenders could be enacted earlier than anticipated. Among the obstacles that the legislation would face is a showdown with the House, which so far is taking a significantly different approach to tax extenders. Last week, the House voted to permanently extend the Research and Development Tax Credit. The R&D credit was one of the six provisions that the Ways and Means Committee voted to make permanent in late April. However, despite the bipartisan House vote last week, I don't expect the R&D tax credit or any of the other five provisions, for that matter, that the Ways and Means Committee voted to make permanent, that they'll actually become a permanent part of the tax code this year. Nonetheless, the support that various tax provisions have been shown during this phase remains important to their viability in the future. As such, Novogratz and Company will continue to closely monitor the tax extenders' efforts in Congress. If you want to receive daily updates and insights on this and similar topics, I encourage you to follow me on Twitter. Twitter handle, at In new market tax credit news, the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund released its latest Qualified Equity Investment Issues Report on May 1st. These monthly reports identify new markets tax credit allocatees, the total allocation amount received by each entity, the total dollar amount finalized, and the amount remaining to be issued. According to the report, about $103 million in Qualified Equity Investments, or QEIs, were issued and finalized in April. This is nearly $30 million more than the $74 million issued in March. That being said, this was well within the average range of QEIs issued each month during the past year. According to the May 1st QEI issuance report, approximately $1.2 billion in New Market Tax Credit Allocation Authority was available. However, as many of you already know, most of this amount has been unofficially committed. To read the latest QEI issuance report, go to www.newmarketscredits.com. And if you need help in finding an allocation or closing a transaction, I encourage you to contact my partner, John Shiretti, in our Dover, Ohio office. Now I have an NMTC allocation update, in part, Because most of the already awarded New Market Tax Credit Allocation Authority has been unofficially committed, the community development industry is eager for the next round of allocation awards to be announced. The CDFI Fund indicated a few months ago that the 2013 allocation of New Market Tax Credit Authority would most likely be announced in late May or early June, and I believe they're still on that schedule. The CDFI Fund will be awarding $3.5 billion dollars in Allocation Authority. Now to provide some historical context, last year the CDFI Fund also awarded $3.5 billion in Allocation Authority divided among 85 Community Development Entities or CDEs. The largest amount awarded in the 2012 round was $80 million. The current round has been slightly delayed from the schedule followed in previous years because of the uncertainty about the program's possible extension. When the CDFI Fund announced the allocation availability last summer, it hoped to award up to $8.5 billion in Allocation Authority. That $8.5 billion included $3.5 billion authorized for 2013 by the American Taxpayer Relief Act, and an additional not-yet authorized amount anticipated to range from $3.5 to $5 billion for 2014. Unfortunately, 2014 Allocation Authority hasn't materialized yet, and so the CDFI Fund will only award the 2013 amount of $3.5 billion. Now, bills have been introduced to reauthorize the program and to provide additional credit authority for distressed areas. But, as you know, at the time of this recording, none had passed. Now, right now we're watching a couple of bills. The Invest in the United States Act, which will authorize $5 billion each year, and the New Market Tax Credit Extension Act, which would make the program permanent and increase the amount of authority each year. We're also following the National Disaster Tax Relief Act, which would provide an additional $500 million each year through 2016 for CDEs serving declared federal disaster areas in 2012 or 2013. If you'd like to learn more about any of these bills or past allocations, check out the New Markets Tax Credit Resource Center at www.NewMarketsCredits.com. That's also where we'll be posting information about this round's allocatees. When the CDF 500 releases the winners, I'll send out a tweet and a breaking news email. I'll also send out a tweet if I hear anything about when the CDF 500 will be releasing the information. If you'd like to be among the first to know about the awards, please follow me on Twitter at at And of course, please join us in Washington, D.C., the second week of June, for our annual New Markets Tax Credit Conference. We hold it in the nation's capital every year in June, and hopefully the awards will come out in advance of this year's conference. In other news, Enterprise released a report on the role New Markets Tax Credits play in bringing healthy food options to low income communities. The report found that low income areas often lack grocery stores and other retailers that offer healthy, affordable food. Fortunately, New market tax credits are beginning to change that. More than $400 million in new market tax credits have been used to build healthy food stores in low-income neighborhoods since the program started. In addition to providing access to healthy food, these investments create jobs and promote economic development. Enterprise found that with the new market tax credit, investors are more willing to accept the higher startup costs that often come with starting a business in these areas. That's why the report called the New Market Tax Credit an essential source of gap financing for these developments. Go to www.NewMarketsCredits.com for a copy of the report. It's titled, Food at Home, Affordable Housing as a Platform to Overcome Nutritional Challenges. And to learn more about the New Market Tax Credit program, please contact my partner, Owen Gray, in our San Francisco office at 415-356-8000. In the local housing tax credit news, I begin with another update on the Housing Finance Reform and Taxpayer Protection Act of 2014. As I mentioned last week, a hearing on the bill was delayed by its authors, Senate Banking Committee Chair Tim Johnson and Ranking Member Mike Crapo. The decision to delay the hearing of the bill was made to give committee members time to work out additional issues and to build more support for the bill. However, in the days following that announcement, Rather than gaining additional supporters, the proposal suffered a significant blow when six key committee Democrats announced they wouldn't support the bill as written. The primary goal of Senate Bill 1217 is to wind down and eliminate Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and establish a federal mortgage insurance corporation in their place. Last week, though, Senators Charles Schumer, Sherrod Brown, Jeff Merkley, Robert Menendez, Elizabeth Warren, and Jack Reed polled their support for the legislation. Although in itself, that doesn't necessarily doom the bill, it certainly has to cast additional doubt on its chances of gaining sufficient momentum to pass the committee and the Senate, and it also means some modifications are going to be needed. To read a copy of Senate Bill 1217, go to www.taxcredithousing.com. Now, while the action in Congress may be slow, to say the least, the same cannot be said for the low-income housing tax credit community. Housing finance agencies, or HFAs, throughout the country are hard at work awarding low-income housing tax credits. Last month, for instance, Washington, Wisconsin, and Minnesota awarded credits. But a credit award is just the beginning for a low-income housing tax credit property. As you know, properties must stay in compliance with federal tax credit rules for at least 15 years to avoid recapture, and to entitle the property owners to continue to receive the tax credits. To help keep your property in compliance, it's imperative to understand what is expected at your property. That's why Novogradic Company offers property compliance workshops throughout the year. The Novogratic LIHTC Property Compliance Workshop is a two-day training session. It covers everything from HFA compliance inspections to calculating rent and income limits and household income. At the end of the two days, participants can take the Novogratic Property Compliance Exam or the National Association of Home Builders Housing Credit Certified Professional Exam. The next workshop is being offered in conjunction with our Novigradic for Buzzing Tax Credit Conference this Thursday and Friday in New Orleans. We're also hosting two workshops in June. On June 4th and 5th in Alpharetta, Georgia, and June 18th and 19th in Los Angeles. If you'd like to learn more about the workshops and to see a complete agenda, please visit www.novaco.com slash events. Simply click on Upcoming Workshops. Speaking of Louisiana and affordable housing, a Louisiana state bill was introduced that would change the way long tax properties are valued in the state. If passed, The bill would require including all benefits and burdens of low income housing property when calculating the anticipated net income for ad valorem assessments. This could mean that the value of federal long term tax credits would be included in the property value of the asset. Such a conclusion has property owners worried for two main reasons. First, it would raise the assessed value of properties, leading to higher property taxes. And second, it would create complications in valuation, as tax credits are a wasting asset. In other words, a portion of the tax credits go away each year, so the remainder, the additional value of the tax credits that would be added to the real estate value, goes down annually. That's one of the reasons why it doesn't make sense to include tax credits in a property's value. It's also one of the reasons why very few jurisdictions include tax credits in property values. Now, the bill's been in the Louisiana House Ways and Means Committee since March, you can find a copy of HB 420 at www.taxcredithousing.com. Go to the Legislation tab. And for questions about property valuation or how this bill might affect your affordable properties in Louisiana, I encourage you to contact my partner, Brad Weinberg, and our Washington, D.C. Metro office at 240-235-1701. In historic tax threat news, I'd like to provide an update on the 2015 Appropriations for the Historic Preservation Fund. Last month, a group of senators wrote a letter to the chairman and ranking member of the Senate Subcommittee of the Interior, Environment, and Related Agencies. Similarly, a group of House members wrote a letter to the chairman and ranking member of the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Interior, Environment, and Related Agencies. In the letters, The lawmakers called for approximately $56 million in funding for the Historic Preservation Fund for fiscal year 2015. Of that total, about $47 million would go to State Historic Preservation Offices or SHPO's. Nearly $9 million would be appropriated to Tribal Historic Preservation Offices and $500,000 would be used for a competitive grant program to help survey and identify historic resources important to underrepresented populations. These amounts are equal to the 2014 appropriation levels. They're also the same levels requested in President Obama's fiscal year 2015 budget request. The National Conference of State Historic Preservation Officers also sent a letter regarding appropriations for the fund. However, they asked for higher funding levels. The group is asking for $50 million in appropriations for the State drug Preservation Offices and $15 million for the Tribal Historic Preservation Offices. The group says these amounts are required because underfunding the Historic Preservation Fund creates a number of problems. For example, with inadequate funds, site visits from State Historic Preservation Offices and Tribal Historic Preservation Offices to Communities and Rehabilitation Tax Credit Projects could be limited. This would make it harder for State Historic Preservation Offices to work with developers on their Historic Rehabilitation Projects. Also, insufficient funding can result in fewer opportunities to educate developers and other industry stakeholders about the resources available for drug preservation efforts. Reports indicate that the House Appropriations Bill for the Interior Department, which would include this funding, could be released in June or July. It's possible that the corresponding Senate Bill would follow about a month later. To learn more about the status of fiscal year 2015 drug preservation fund appropriations, go to www.preservationaction.org. In positive state-level historic news, Alabama enacted a bill that could make its state historic tax credit program more appealing to investors. The new law includes three main changes to the program. First, it clarifies that the tax credits are awarded on a calendar year, not a fiscal year basis. Secondly, the law states that changes to a property's ownership structure will not, that's right, will not result in credit loss. Previous law required that at least 50% of the ownership remain the same. Third, the new law allows a one-time transfer of the tax credit. This could generally expand the pool of equity available for historic preservation projects. The changes were made retroactive to May 15, 2013. Now, regular listeners may recall that Alabama lawmakers established the three-year program in 2013 to test the public's interest for such an incentive. The program is authorized at $20 million annually through the year 2015, and it offers a 25% credit for certified historic structures and a 10% credit for non-historic structures built before 1936. You can find a copy of the amendment bill, HB 509, that's HB 509, at www.historictaxcredits.com. I think these are positive changes for the Alabama Historic Tax Credit Program and has the potential to draw interest from additional investors. If you have questions about state historic tax credit programs, please contact my partner, Charlie Ruda, in our Boston office at 617-330-1920. In renewable energy tax credit news, last Friday, President Obama announced a series of new executive actions to bolster investment in energy upgrades in homes and federal buildings, strengthen appliance standards and building codes, and build a skilled solar workforce. Of particular interest to our listeners, one of the actions announced was the issuance of proposed regulations intended to clarify how certain investment rules relate to renewable energy installations. Real Estate Investment Trusts, or REITs, are a key means for raising investment capital, and they're generally limited to holding real property. The administration says the regulations proposed on Friday by the Treasury Department and IRS will provide clarity regarding the treatment of renewable energy installations and REITs. This clarification is expected to help promote reinvestment in the renewable energy sector. The administration called these rules a step forward for renewable energy. A copy of the proposed regulations can be found online at www.energytaxcredits.com. Go to the Technical Guidance menu, choose Select IRS Guidance, and then click on Notices. A public hearing is scheduled for September 18th. Comments and requests to speak at the public hearing will be accepted until August 12th. The Novogradic Renewable Energy Working Group will be submitting comments on the proposed regulations. To learn more about the working group or to join and participate in the comment submission on this topic, please contact Chad Durden in our Atlanta, Georgia office. And for analysis of the proposed regulations and what they may mean for renewable energy investment, I encourage you to check out the Novigradic Journal of Tax Credits. Forrest Milder will discuss these rules and their implications in his monthly column, The Current, in our June issue. And if you're not already a subscriber, you can sign up by calling 415-356-7960 or go online at www.novaco.com products. And for questions about the proposed regulations in the meantime, please contact my partner, Tony Grapponi in our Boston office. In related news, also on Friday, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, announced that 27 organizations across the nation have committed installing more than 150 megawatts of on-site renewable energy. This more than doubles the amount of renewable energy on HUD-assisted multifamily buildings. HUD says that 27 new renewable energy partnerships come in response to the President's call to action as part of the White House Solar Summit last month and the Better Buildings Initiative the Administration launched in 2011. These HUD partners are choosing to install and use solar energy on affordable and market-rate multifamily properties because it reduces long-term energy costs and creates jobs. Congratulations to the 27 affordable housing developers, public housing authorities, finance institutions, and service providers that were part of last week's announcement. Now please bear with me as I want to recognize all 27 participants for the leadership they're showing in this area. They are, in alphabetical order, Affirmed Housing Group, Bayview Community Development Corp., BlackRock Solar, Chelsea Investment Corporation, Community Advancement Corporation, Community Housing Works, Community Power Network, the core companies, the Denver Housing Authority, EAH Housing, Enterprise Community Partners, Global Green USA, Grid Alternatives, Hispanic Housing Development Corporation, Horizon Development Preservation Partners, Innovative Housing Opportunities, Link Housing, Mutual Housing California, National Housing Trust, Standard Property Company, Stewards of Affordable Housing for the Future, The Reliant Group, Urban Housing Communities, Vitus, Wakeland Housing and Development Corporation, Wind Companies, and Yolo County Housing Authority in California. I'm proud to note that many Novigrad and Company clients are on the list. We commend their efforts. And for questions about the White House Solar Summit, or the Better Buildings Initiative, please contact my partner, Stephen Tracy, in our San Francisco office. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogradic and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.